Good evening, everybody. It's time to begin our service this evening. I can say this evening and not be wrong. <laughs> Makes it so much easier that way. Tonight we'll have two songs, and then Rick will have reading and prayer. I forgot to write it down. I had to think. I'm like, who was it? It was <laughs> Rick had reading and prayer, and then one more song and. Chris, there you are. We'll have our lesson this evening. Our first song is number 226. 226. How great thou art. If you would, let's stand for this song, please. Then sings my 
Please be seated. Our next song is number 527. 527. Paradise Valley. After this, Rick will have our reading and prayer. As I travel through life with this trouble and strife, I have a glorious hope to give cheer all the way through my toil will be o'er, and I'll rest on that shore where the night has been turned into day. Up in the Reading this evening is Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the second opportunity we've had today to come here and pour our hearts out to you in prayer, to sing songs of praises to you and to hear a portion of your word. 
We pray, Father, that the things that we do whenever we meet like this will please you, that it will strengthen us and edify us so that we can better serve you uh, than we have in the past and the days ahead. We pray, Father, that as we meet from time to time, that we will do everything we can to gain the most from having been here, that we will lift up our voices in song, that we will pay attention to the words that come from our mouths, and that we will sincerely mean them as we offer them to you, that we will enter into the lesson in just a few moments and pay close attention to what Chris has to offer. And we pray that he has prepared something that will help us in this life serve you better. We thank you for the group that meets here, Father. We pray that all that we do, whether it be in our worship or out in the community or however we might serve this walk, that we will be good examples to those around us, that we individually in our lives constitute this congregation and that we must realize that our individual actions reflect on the group as a whole. So we pray that each of us will do what he or she can to live circumspect lives, live godly lives, and behave in ways that would reflect the fact that we are Christians. We ask that you be with the work that we do here, the preaching, the benevolence, the edification, the evangelism out in the community when we have the opportunity to do so, that it will be effective, that it will be from your word, and that it will lead others to you. We have, Father, those in our midst that are suffering, preparing for upcoming surgeries, trying to recover or at least tolerate illnesses that they uh, are, are cursed with at this point, people who have lost loved ones, people who are, are just suffering in other ways as well. We pray, Father, that not only will they look to you uh, for strength uh, in these times of stress, but that we in some way can, can be of aid or benefit to them to help focus them, uh, help focus their thoughts on you and to help them through whatever they're undergoing. We pray, Father, that uh, you be with the elders of this congregation, that we will be able to do the things that are necessary to help this congregation grow in spirit and in truth, and then if numbers come, so be it. We pray, Father, that we will always stand for the truth and that we will do everything we can to promote your truth in this world. Finally, Father, we're thankful for so many things that you have granted to us. We're thankful for the love that you have shown us in so many ways in providing us with a world that we can love and enjoy, that we can use to glorify you. We're thankful for your word, the plan of salvation, the lessons that we learn from the Old Testament, but we're most thankful, Father, for the sacrifice of your son, his willingness to come to this earth to die as an unblemished lamb 
on the cross for our sins. And we realize, Father, and love you and him for it, that without that sacrifice, we could not have hope of forgiveness of sins and certainly not living in eternity with you. We ask this prayer in his name. Amen. Our song of invitation will be number 538. 538. If you would, let's stand. And we'll sing number 213. He gave me a song. He took my burdens all away. Back in the Old Testament this morning, if you grab your Bibles and be turning to 2 Kings chapter 22, we are coming to a close on this uh, series. We've called Ben's Reading Through Scripture, Ben's Reading Through the Bible. Uh, we've been talking about the kings uh, from Matthew chapter 1, the kings that are in Jesus' genealogy, and we are just very close, uh, a hair's breadth, I guess, away from the, the exile, the Babylonian exile is coming up very quickly. After, uh, after the, the lesson this evening, the last kings of Israel will be the Josiah's sons. We're talking about Josiah tonight. He is one of the greatest kings of all of Israel. 
of all of Judah even. This man will astonish you with his faith. Uh, he is a boy king. In fact, the, uh, the ruler before him is a guy named Amon. Uh, I think Matthew calls him Amos. He is Manasseh's son, and he's going to follow in the footsteps of, of Manasseh, uh, just like he was cut from the same mold as his dad. Only he's not going to humble himself. Manasseh's known uh, because toward the end of his life, he humbled himself. He became repentant. He saw the sin in his life, and he began to mourn over it. Now, it took an exile, a personal exile, to Babylon for Manasseh to wake up. But I suppose we've all had those wake-up moments where something has happened. Maybe it's a, a illness or a, an accident or something has woken us up. And we've thought, man, my life needs to be better in line with God. My life needs to be more in line with Christ. I need to be more humble. I need to be more caring. I need to show more love. I need to be more compassionate. I need to pray more. I need to get into Scripture more. I need to grow. Manasseh's got that moment now, and he will repent. And for all intents and purposes, for what we know, he will spend the rest of his life devoted to God, but day late and dollar short for Manasseh. It won't take, at least not for the country. Uh, and it's not going to take for his own family either. He will be a good man toward the end of his life, but like we say, his own son will be cut from the same cloth that Manasseh lived most of his life in. Uh, a cloth of rebellion, one of uh, spite, one of doing what he wants to do, no matter the cost to God, country, or his faith. Manasseh is just going to do what he wants to do. And his own son, Amon, is going to do the exact same thing. Scripture doesn't talk very much about him. You can find him uh, in both Kings and Chronicles right before you come in contact with his son, Josiah. Today we're in 2 Chron Kings chapter 22 and 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Amon's story happens right before both of those, both of those passages. But it's... A bullet list. You get three or four or five verses of Amon and he's moved on very quickly. I think because God wants to get to Josiah. He's excited about Josiah. Amon's just more, he's Manasseh part two. Uh, and the country doesn't need Manasseh part two. God doesn't desire Manasseh part two. And so Amon's kingship, his reign, is passed over very quickly. Not to mention that it's very short in and of itself. In fact, he is assassinated by some of his own people. Why that happens, all this kind of stuff we can talk about later if you'd like. But he's assassinated by some of his own people. And his eight-year-old son is put in his place. Now, the last time this happened, reform happened there too. Uh, the people deposed Adahalia. You remember she is Ahab's daughter. And she herself is a evil, wicked Queen uh, of epic proportions. Uh, stories were no doubt told about her to uh, Israelite children to scare them to go make sure they go to bed on time. This lady was evil. She was mean. Uh, even to her own family was evil. And so uh, the country deposes her. They, they assassinate her. And her son, grandson, uh, is appointed king. Uh, his name is Jehoahash. And he will invite reform into Israel. Revival will come then as well, just like it does here during Josiah's day. Let's dive into the text. We're in 2 Kings chapter 22. You find him there in verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1. We're standing in Kings most of the time for this 
Um, as you are aware, as we've gone through this series, you've been made aware if you weren't already aware. Kings and Chronicles essentially tells the same story, but they're answering different questions. Kings answers the question, why are we in exile? Was God not strong enough to defend us? Was he not strong enough to protect us? And God shoots the question right back at Israel and says, no, it's not my fallacy, it's yours. It's your sin that has landed you in this predicament. And the practical application for us there is, of course, sin will always be punished, right? We cannot mock God. You don't get to get away with living your own life, doing whatever you would like to do, not adhering to God's laws. You don't get to get away with that. There's punishment because of that. And so... That's the answer Kings gives us. It's not God's fault. It wasn't God's inability to protect the people. It's not that he was too weak. It's that the people were too sinful. And so he led them off into exile. Chronicles, of course, answers another question. It's the logical question out of the answer to Kings. We are sinful. We have messed up. God has punished us. The answer, the question that Chronicles answers is, is it too late? Uh, will there now be no relationship with God? Is, is he cut, has he cut us off for good? And the answer to that from Chronicles is, no, he has not. That, that relationship is still intact. It was, it was punishment. The exile was punitive, right? But it's the relationship. There's still a possibility for relationship with God there. Now, does he need them to eradicate their sin? Does he need them to put that away? Of course, right? That's part and parcel of being in relationship with God. So all that to say, you find the same story in Kings as you do in Chronicles, but you find it from a different slant. You find it through a different tent, uh, and so you find some different uh, information. But for the most part, we're going to spend our time in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23 and 24 here this, uh, this evening. It's nice to be able to say this evening. I agree. Did I really? Well, yeah. all bets are off then. So, 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. So, right off the bat, you know this guy's going to die early. But we know also that he's a good man. He's a righteous guy. And so, what's the problem? Well, keep reading. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah of Boscoth. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. This has not been said of a, of a king in a very long time. In fact, his grandfather was the last king that this was said of, Hezekiah. Another good man who loved to hear what God had to say, like we were talking about this morning. He loved to hear what God said. And then he tried his dead level best to do it. Josiah's going to do that. But he's going to be like a king like Israel hasn't had ever. He doesn't even compare him to David. Josiah was better than David. Uh, it's kind of how, how the chronicler and the, and the author of Kings po uh, positions this man's, uh, this man's faith in his life. Not, not, he, not ever has, has Judah or Israel had a king like Josiah. But he will only reign 31 years. And so he's going to die when he's 40. It's pretty early to die. I'm coming up on 39. And it's pretty early. So what's going on? Well, check out what else is happening uh, in Israel's life. 
in verse 3. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshullam, the secretary, that to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord with the keepers of the threshold have collected from the temple. So as you walked into the temple, there was a money box there, and you would put it, you'd put your offering there, and you would walk away. Money has been accumulated over the years, and no one's touched it, apparently. I don't know if they forgot that it was there, but, or, or if this is a new occurrence that people have just been dropping off money there. But there is a quantity of money in this, in this box, and he says we need to be doing something. We need to be working for, this, uh, for God with, with this money. We need to work for God with our money. We need to work for God with our money. Okay, heard that? Okay, so he's saying we need to use our money to work for the Lord. And so what does he do? Well, he starts rebuilding the temple. He starts repairing the temple. It's become in disuse over the years. Amon, his own dad, Josiah's own dad, didn't care anything about the temple. In fact, he's going to introduce even more idolatry to the temple. Manasseh, for most of his 55-year reign, did not care anything about the temple. In fact, he's going to introduce idolatry to the temple. And so it's been over half a century since anything has anything good has been done to the temple. And so it's fallen into disrepair. Hezekiah was the last guy that cared anything about it. And now it's been almost 60 years since anything has happened uh, to help improve the temple, to even clean it out. There's cobwebs in there. And so he comes in and he appoints these guys, uh, these workers, these carpenters and metal workers and all these guys, and they're going to come in and they're going to uh, rehab, essentially, the temple. While they're rehabbing the temple, no one's been in there, at least in a substantial way, for a very long time, almost coming up on 60 years now, so they find something precious. If you look in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 8, um, they come across, as they're cleaning, you ever done this as you're cleaning and come across something, and you're like, oh, wow, I can't believe this was hidden for this long. They come across a scroll that was written by Moses. Wow. It's been a whole long time since Moses has been alive at this point. Uh, we're coming up on about 1,000 years. Moses wrote this scroll about a thousand years ago at this point. And so we don't know what it is. Most scholars seem to think that it's the, 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 the scroll that Deuteronomy is on. Uh, and because when uh, Josiah hears the words from the scroll, he starts ripping, a uh, ripping apart his clothes and he's repenting and he's mourning. And, and there's all these, uh, this beautiful sign of repentance and love for God because... He's read from all the curses that you find in Deuteronomy. If you've been reading through your Bible in a year, you're coming up on Deuteronomy maybe. Uh, so get ready to hear what Josiah heard. But I love the way that uh, the secretary comes in and he tells them about what, uh, what they found. Look in verse 8, 2 Kings chapter 22. Verse 8, And Hilkiah the priest said to Shaphat the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. So Hilkiah, high priest, he's a righteous man. He's excited. You can kind of tell. I found the scroll of Yahweh. And he gives it to Shaphan, who's going to go give it to the king, right? Listen to how he couches it, though. In verse 9, And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have, oversight, who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Pause. 
He didn't say anything about the book of the law, did he? This guy is smart. He's couching it in this way because I wonder if he's already read through the scroll. I don't think Josiah was the first guy that read through the scroll when it was found recently. I think they found this scroll, recognized, wow, this scroll is old. That looks like Moses' handwriting. Let's see what Moses had to say. Ooh, he's got some curses for people that don't love him, that aren't sold out, that aren't devoted to him. So he doesn't immediately rush into the king's chamber and tell him what he found. You ever had to deliver bad news to somebody? How do you deliver it? You just rush in and say, well, listen to me. I got some bad news for you, right? He doesn't do that. He couches it in, uh, in an interesting way. So verse 10, uh, he's then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. That's all he says. This guy, the high priest, he gave me a book. Uh, and Shaphan read it before the king. So that's his introduction to this book. Uh, so I, I read a new novel recently, and, uh, and, and here it is. And he started reading it before the king. And then Josiah's heart is on full display for us. Uh, he hears God's law and is broken because he and his people have not followed it. They've not followed it. For over half a century have been in blatant disregard to it. And so he starts ripping his clothes and he's mourning. And has this really beautiful show of repentance. Um, then in verse 13, he says these words, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. He said our dads and our granddads didn't do what was right and we're going to pay the penalty. Still true today, isn't it? If we're not who we ought to be as moms and granddads and grandmas, who pays the price? We do certainly, but ultimately so does our children. Legacy is important. Who you are today is important. What you sacrifice for today is important. It tells your family and your grandchildren and your great it tells them who you are and what's important to you. Josiah got a pretty clear picture of what was important to his dad and his granddad. And it wasn't God. Because of this, he's behind the eight ball. Wrath is coming and there's nothing he can do about it. Nothing he can. You want to know why he only reigns 31 years? Because wrath is coming. God will demand that Judah be punished. And even the good king Josiah, with all the reforms that he's about to enact... Can't stave it off forever. God seems to end Josiah's life early so that he can bring in the retribution and the punishment for Judah because of Manasseh's sins. Legacy is important. Who you are today is important. It tells your family what's important to you. Listen to what else he does. He starts repairing the temple. He starts tearing through the country, defiling not the temple like his dad and his granddad had done, but he starts defiling the foreign altars, the, the altars to the foreign gods. And he does this it's just in a really, like, he starts burning dead men's bones on the altar. 
And apparently after that, it was unusable. You can't, you can't go back and worship at this place because Josiah has defiled these things. And he does it everywhere. He doesn't just do it in Jerusalem. He does it all throughout the country. He makes his way all the way up to Bethel in the northern nation of Judah and the northern nation of Israel, which is now gone. They've been eradicated. They've been um, assimilated into the Assyrian Empire. They're gone now. But the places where they worshiped were still there. And the people... At least the half that the Assyrians left in the country have, at least a lot of them, have moved down south. And they have assimilated themselves back into God's people. They've assimilated themselves into Judah. And so when they look up to the northern nation and they see their king destroying all these, all these false idols, what's that tell them? The old life is gone. We need... And a practical application here, we need these opportunities, these physical reminders that the old life has been put behind us. And that's exactly what Josiah is doing here. He's putting the old life, the old old man of sin, if we can use a New, New Testament term, he's putting that behind him. He's saying that's over now. We're starting a brand new leaf. We're, we're turning over a brand new leaf. We're going to be completely devoted to God from here on out. And he's going to do it throughout the entire country. Not just his country, but the entire northern nation of Israel as well. He's going to tear apart every idol, uh, every pagan temple, all the things that were there. He's going to go into the temple as part of his reforms. He's going to tear out all the Asherah and all the, the bells and the things that are there inside the temple. Um, He's going to reinstitute Yahweh worship. He's also going to reinstitute the Passover. And they're going to have a Passover like they haven't had a Passover since the days of Samuel. Not since the, the days when they first got a king have they had a, a Passover like this. Flip over to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 2 Chronicles chapter 35, actually. 2 Chronicles 35. He says in, uh, in verses 7 through 9, I just want you to see the amount, the sacrifice that he made. Sometimes we think sacrifice, the word kind of gets lost in our current culture. Uh, and you start thinking, oh, sacrifice is like a bull or a goat. Sacrifice is something you give up that hurts. And so listen to how much it hurt, how much it had to have hurt, even a king. Second Chronicles 35, verse 7. It says, Then Josiah contributed to the lay people as Passover offerings for all who were present, lambs and young goats from the, from the flock to the number of 30,000 and 3,000 bulls. These were from the king's possessions. His officials give another several thousand uh, sacrifices there. These guys are making it hurt. Sacrifices ought to hurt. When you give to the Lord, it needs to be a sacrifice. Not just something that is off the top, but something that um, is difficult for us to give. Flip down a couple of verses to, uh, to verse 18. This is no Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah and the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel who were, pre, who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This happened in the 18th year of Josiah. So this is revival. It's happened. You know, this, this, is, this is amazing. And then if you flip back over to 2 Kings chapter 23, 
he, uh, he eradicates the mediums and the necromancers and the, the household gods and all these things that you would think had, would have been kicked out of Israel um, centuries ago. They've come back into the land because that's what sin does. If we allow it to sit there, what does it do? It multiplies. And so if you're struggling with one sin, it seems to invite ten more sins along with it. And you start struggling with a great many things. And so that, that's kind of what's happened here in Israel what had once been eradicated is now, at least under Manasseh and Ammon, was flourishing until Josiah takes the throne. And he starts eradicating all these things. Interestingly enough, he makes all these reforms after God tells them that he's not going to live for a very long time. He's not going to reign for a very long time. That no matter what he does, judgment will come. That punishment is coming. No matter what Josiah does, he can't stave off the, the punishment. It's coming because Manasseh's sin. Doesn't matter what Josiah does. He does it anyhow. Why? Because it was the right thing to do. Following God, being devoted to Him with everything you've got, sacrificing everything to Him, is worth whatever you have to give up to obtain it. Every time. That's how Josiah removed the evil from his sight. It's how he instituted revival. It's how he started revival in Israel. Well, how can we start revival in our own lives? What's the thing that we can learn from Josiah. I think the thing we learn from Josiah is it's okay to be different. It's okay to be different. As Christians, we're called a peculiar people. It's not just that we're odd. It's that we think differently, right? A lot of us don't want to be odd. We don't want to be weird. Nobody wants to be the weird guy. But we're peculiar. We're, we think different. We are different. We're transformed. We're molded into the image of Christ when the rest of the world is molded, molded into the image of the world. They don't care about the things that we care about. They don't prioritize the things that we prioritize. And so football games and soccer games and all those things are important to them. They're not that important to us, are they? And work is important to them and climbing the corporate ladder is important to them and money is important to them and savings is important to them, but those things aren't all that important to us, are they? We don't prioritize those things, do we? We're different. At least we should be. That's what the church ought to be like. And so it's okay to be different. We learned that from Josiah. But how can you invite revival in your own life? I think we learn a couple things from the things that Josiah did. First thing he did, right, was repair the temple. What's the application there for us? We need to be present at worship. This guy was concerned about worship. We need to be present for worship. Something happens here. Uh, the Hebrew author tells us in chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, when we assemble together, we are here to provoke one another, to stir one another up to love and to good works, right? And it's not good for us to miss. And so something happens during the corporate worship of the church where not only we praise God, not only we encourage each other, but we build each other up. And it's good for us to be together. David, in fact, in the psalm says that it was good. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. It's good to be present for worship. The second thing uh, Josiah does, he starts 
tearing through the country, defiling the altars and the false gods. There are things in your life, there are things that are in my life that have taken God's place as an idol. There are things that we worship that are not Yahweh, that are not Jesus, right? You can tell what you worship because you sacrifice to get to make sure that that thing happens. And so what are you sacrificing for? What, what do you make compromises to make happen? That's the thing you worship. If you're making compromises so that you can grow inside of Christ, so that you can work the spiritual discipline, so that you can be around God's people, then that's what you worship. You worship Yahweh. But if you're making compromises so that you can do some other things, then that's what you worship. Isn't it? We need to find those things and we need to ferret them out. Everybody has them. You're not alone. I'm not alone. Everybody has these things. We just need to find them and ferret them out and desecrate them like Josiah does these temples so that we don't go back to them because they're so easily returned to. Old paths are easy to go back to. It's like a path in the woods. If you see a path in the woods, what do you do? You're walking through there. You don't walk through the trees, right? You walk on the path, it's so easy to go back to the things that you once did. We need reminders that that old life is gone and the new life is now where I need to be. Third thing Josiah does, he reinstitutes Passover like it hasn't been celebrated since Samuel's day. Uh, You need to remember and celebrate God's deliverances in your own life. He's done some things for you. He has delivered you in powerful ways from sin, maybe from, from other things, but we need to remember and celebrate those things. That was the the purpose of Passover. It was to remind them of their exodus from Egypt, of his redemption, of his buying them, of, of all these things that's called up in the exodus. Passover helped them remember. And it was a yearly thing, so they don't forget, because we need constant reminders of God's deliverance. We need to find those things so that we don't forget so that we can stay focused. So we remember to celebrate his deliverances in our own lives. The last thing uh, Josiah does to enact revival in himself and his country, he eradicates these mediums, the necromancers, the spirits, the household gods. Um, these things, for lack of a better term, these things were like the magic eight ball. You ever see those magic eight balls in the store or whatever? You have one in the 90s. And he said, am I going to find a girlfriend? No. Oh. You know, like, you remember those things? Uh, you'd ask them questions and you'd shake it and they would spit out this answer. And there was like four or five answers that they had. These necromancers and the spiritists and those guys, that's, that's kind of what they were in the Old Testament. They, there's no power there. There's no, there's no uh, authority. There's no, they don't have any power. It's just tricks and mirrors and stuff. So these guys are, I suppose, an easy answer, right? Um, there's not a lot of easy answers. There's not, there's not a lot of shortcuts in spirituality. If we want to grow, you've got to stop looking for shortcuts to make it happen. It's like get-rich-quick schemes, right? You ever found a get-rich-quick scheme that really worked? It's not there. There's no shortcut to spiritual growth. If we want to grow spiritually, and we must, we've got to put in the time. We've got to put in the work to grow spiritually. Josiah's end uh, how does Josiah die? Well, he goes out to battle against a guy named Pharaoh Necho. Uh, he is obviously a king of Egypt. Necho doesn't want a battle with Josiah. And 
fact, Necho comes off as very uh, God-centric in his conversation with Josiah. Uh, he tells Josiah to go back home. He doesn't have any beef with Josiah. In fact, Josiah is now standing in between of Necho and uh, his, the dynasty that he's fighting. That's what Necho says God says. And so God says to get out of the way, Josiah. Josiah doesn't. For whatever reason, he wants to pick this fight. Uh, and he ends up dying in the battle there with Necho. During his day, Josiah staved off God's punishment of Judah because of his personal righteousness. He did the work. He loved God and he was broken hearted. God's always close to the broken hearted. Rick read for you tonight Matthew 5 4 where Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount says he blesses those who mourn and what he's talking about there is not those who mourn for, for lost loved ones or for sick or for things like that. That's true. He does do those things. He listens to prayers. But that's not what he's talking about. When he says those who mourn in Matthew 5, 4, he's talking about those who are brokenhearted over their sin. Like Josiah was when, he is, uh, when, he, when the book of the law is read to him. His heart just pours out. It's broken. He, he's overcome with grief because he has offended uh, the God of the universe. God had a standard in Josiah's sees that he fell short of it, and there, now there will be punishment. Uh, but I wonder how much of the, the, the problem, how much of the mourning was punishment-oriented, and how much of it was just he had offended God. Tonight, if you're mourning your sin, if... if, if God has done something in your heart and he's pricked you through the words uh, of, this, of this passage and you've learned something from Josiah's life and you think, I need to be like Josiah tonight. Don't wait. Sin has a way of tricking us and telling us, I've still got time. You might not have time. Time was quickly ticking away in Josiah's Israel. Time might be click, quickly ticking away for you as well. If you need to make your life right with God tonight, don't wait. Why don't you come as we stand and sing?
Good evening. Hope everyone's had a good day today and enjoyed the sunshine. Uh, just some reminders on upcoming activities. Uh, Young at Heart will have their uh, monthly lunch outing this Tuesday, and they'll meet here at the building at 1030 for a devotional and then be traveling to Fratelli's. Also, as Gary mentioned this morning, the men's retreat is coming up this Friday and Saturday. If you plan on attending, please sign up before you leave uh, this evening so we can get a head count on that. Also, uh, ladies' Bible class this Thursday morning at 10 a.m. All ladies are invited to join in on this weekly study. Next Sunday evening, uh, March 20th, uh, the deacons will have a meeting at 5 p.m., and then the deacons and elder, elders will meet together after services. And also next Sunday evening, there will be a team Devo after services. Additions uh, to the prayer list, uh, Jim Haney was diagnosed with a low blood count, and uh, we'll be taking treatment to correct that. Mikey Blake, this is Tony Blake's son, had a, a seizure last week. We'll be seeing uh, doctors to figure out what's going on with him. J.D. Lawson, this is Wanda and J.B.'s uh, grandson, will be checked out tomorrow, uh, have his pacemaker checked out. And Dave's surgery was rescheduled for the end of this month on March 31st. Also, Sandy Wilson's brother, uh, Phil Henson, passed away, and services will be tomorrow at Hall's. That is all the announcements that I have. Please pick up a, a Rome journal for a complete list of all those on, uh, in need of our prayers, and, and let's make sure to keep praying for them this week. If you haven't had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, you can do so at this time in the uh, conference room, and we'll have one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Our last song is number 851, Blue Skies and Rainbows. Blue skies and rainbows and sunbeams from heaven are what I can see when my Lord is living in me. I know that Jesus is well and and flowers all 
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, just come to you this evening, Father, just thanking you for this another day of life that you've blessed us with. Father, just thank you for this time that we could come here and worship you. We pray that everything that happened in this building today, Father, was pleasing in your sight and brought glory and honor to your name. Father, we are mindful of the ones that are sick, that are shut in. Father, the ones that have upcoming appointments, Father, just ask you to be with the doctors and nurses that attend to those people. Father, whatever treatments they are receiving, just pray it be your will that they are effective. Father, just offer a special prayer this time for Kristen Ward. Father, just bless her, comfort her, Father. Father, be with her family and give them strength at this time. Father, be with us as we go throughout this week. Pray that we could be the example you'd have us to be. Forgive us of the sins that we've committed. It's in your name we pray.